Welcome to the party. It's Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman. And then there was two. Who will win the million dollars on today's finale of Survivor Minnesota Football Party Edition? Hey, this is Aretha Son with Pro Football Network. As you can see, I've just moved into my new digs. That's a box of shoes in the background, evidently. The votes are in. Hand in your torch, Arif. People have spoken. Independence Day edition of the football party. Coming up next. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back at it, another episode, Minnesota Football Party, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota Network. As you see, we've cut down to two training camp cuts. We've trimmed the roster. Joined, as always, by the captain, Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan on Twitter, at Arif Hassan NFL. Is it really shoes in the box, though, or did you just write shoes and you really got, what do you got, playbooks in there, football books? What's really in the box of shoes, Arif? <laughs> I actually, I have no idea what's in that box. I'm not the one it's who packed it. It's a mystery box. It. I'm, yeah, I'm not the one who packed it. That's not my handwriting that says shoes on it. <laughs> my friend, like, my friend packed that box, wrote shoes on it. I'm taking it on good faith that he is describing it accurately. But uh, I do have, like, in the move, I did discover that I have way more shoes than I thought. I'm not, like, for, like, a brief two years, I was, like, a shoe guy. Yep. I'm not really a shoe guy. I have no idea what's going on in that box. We'll You're out. not waiting for the latest Jordan drops and trying to get your email it's, in. It's, it's too much effort, man. It's too much, dude. It's yeah. too much. It's gotten ridiculous. Uh, Luke Braun, Sam Ekstrom, enjoying a little vacation time, PTO during the 4th of July week. But rest assured, Reef and I got you covered. Coming up, Vikings are running it back with the same five offensive linemen. So what's our confidence level with the returning starters in 2023? Plus, an early look at the Vikings 2024 cap space and what moves they could make now that Quasey has some money to play with. And then at the end, Arif and I will go game by game. We're going to give you our 2023 Vikings season prediction that's sure to be 100% flawlessly accurate. Vaulted, play it back. We don't care. It's fine. No big deal. Uh, before we jump into it, remember this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, Arif. Vikings offensive line. I think back to the draft. I remember during that pre-draft process, a lot of fans were banging the table for more offensive line help early in the draft. Specifically, one guy kept popping up, John Michael Schmitz from the Gophers, to help out the interior. An interior that, I mean, all in all, I think is fair to say, struggled to protect Cousins as the season progressed. So here's my question. They re-signed Bradbury to that three-year deal. They choose to run it back with the same starting five. Just how confident should fans be that the cohesion and the hashtag chemistry of having the same five guys back for a second year in a row now will somehow help these guys perform better in 2023? Like, what do you think is a realistic bar to reach when you just bring back the same five starters and just bank on the continuity aspect? I think, well, I mean, it kind of depends on like what your expectations are, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if, for example, we had this discussion three, four, five years ago, and I told you, hey, the Vikings are guaranteed to have like the 19th best offensive line in the NFL, which is about where I would rank them last mm -hmm. year, right? 18, 19, 20, 21, something like that, right? People would have been ecstatic. I'll right? take it. I'll take it. Exactly. It was three, four years ago. Now, though, now that we've experienced it, right? Now we want improvement, and that's fair. We should. Um, I would say there's a a decent chance it gets better, but I just don't want to raise people's expectations too much, right? Christian Derrissaw is a borderline elite talent, if not already there, right? Brian O'Neill is a phenomenal player. You know, I got asked recently, is he a top five right tackle? And maybe, right? 
Um, like he's definitely in that. Discussion. It's a conversation. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and so um, that's where you're at at the tackle. And like you mentioned, it's the interior that's the concern. Garrett Bradbury is coming off of a career year. Is that going to get better? Mm-hmm. Maybe, right? Part of the reason he had a career year likely has to do with the fact that there was a change in the coaching staff, right? So that it plays a role. And that coaching staff is going to be there next year. And so maybe he gets better. I have my doubts, though. My general sense is that when players year five, year six, year seven, um, hit a career high, they're probably not going to get there again. Mm-hmm. And so the, so, so I expect him not to play at that same level. And, and that level, I think, was overrated by PFF. It wasn't all that good, honestly. The real question to me is Ed Ingram, right? I like Ezra Cleveland. I think he's fine. I think he's an above-average guard. Uh, to me, it, it's about Ed Ingram. Um, if he gets better, right? He was a rookie last year. All the reason in the world to suspect he'll get better then I think you can kind of begin to have conversations about the Vikings no longer being like the 20th best offensive line, but, you know, maybe 15th, maybe 14th, right? Maybe average to above average. And that's kind of where I think most of that improvement could come from is from a step forward from Ed Ingram. And personally, I, and I don't really have a good reason to believe it, right? It's just kind of a hunch. I don't really see it. I think that they're probably going to perform at the same level they did last year. I don't want to put you on the spot, and I don't even know if this stat exists, but you mentioned about 19th in the league, depending on what statistic category you're looking at. We know the tackles are already borderline elite in some cases. How do we rank the interior just in a vacuum on their own? Is there a way to find out just how bad the interior was compared to the other 31 interior offensive line groups in the league? Because again, we know the tackles aren't the problem, but the interior, even with a career year from Garrett Bradbury, we know Ezra okay, he's not elite by any means, but he's also not a dumpster fire. And then we just know what we had to go through, rolling the dice with a rookie. You knew Ed Ingram was going to take his lumps, but is there any way to kind of dissect where the interior ranked compared to the rest of the league? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit harder because you you get these offensive line level statistics from like ESPN's pass rush win rate metric, yeah, right? Or their, sure. or their run block win rate metric, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um and so you have some understanding, and you can do the individual PFF grades and stuff like that, but you don't have the individual pass block win rate, run sure. block win rate stuff for the interior, right? You have right. how the Vikings did, and if they're in the top 10, you know how some individual players did, but you don't get all 64 players who played that position or whatever, right? So it's a little bit more difficult to kind of determine how good the interior um, offensive line performance ranked last year. But I think intuitively, if we can say, hey, that pair of tackles, that is probably like a top five. Like there's probably not another better pair of tackles um, outside of some of those super elite ones, like with the Eagles, right? Eagles, so it's probably yeah. a top five pair of t- just tackle group by itself. Okay, well, if that's the case, and the whole offensive line was like 20th, 19th, 18th, the interior was probably like 25th or something. Right. right? Agreed. Like Agreed. Yeah. That would be the assumption that, again, yeah. the tackles are kind of carrying those stats, even as middling as they are without those tackles. You, you got to be right. Bottom seven, bottom five, somewhere in the league. And I think just from a front office lens, too, and granted, four of these guys are from the Spielman regime, but just from left to right, Derisaw, first rounder. Ezra, second rounder, Bradbury, first rounder, Egram and O'Neill, both second round guys, all five guys drafted in the first or second round. There can't be more than a handful of teams that can say all five guys were a top 60 pick or higher. So if I'm the GM, I'm saying, listen, you get what you pay for. You wanted early investments on the offensive line. Here they are. Now it's up to you, the coaches, to go out and develop them. And I get it. That doesn't mean every early pick is always a Hall of Famer or Pro Bowler. Like We know the bus rates are pretty high just in general in the draft. But point is, this team has used a ton of early round assets on the offensive line. Your two tackles, as mentioned, two of the better tackles in the league. So yeah, I agree. I think it all comes down to the interior. And I think when you go piece by piece, I think we know who Bradbury is at this point. Good, not great. 
And I think we know Bradbury isn't a guy you can leave in a lot of one-on-one matchups with these big nose tackles like we saw with Dexter Lawrence in the playoffs, prime example. So to me, I think you nailed it. I think a lot of it hinges on how big of a step Ed Ingram can take this year and if he can be the guy who can help Bradbury out on those double teams more often. And also, can he take that next step in the run game like we saw some flashes of last season as well because again you know your tackles assuming O'Neal is healthy are going to do their jobs but if Ed Ingram can take a big step forward I think the cohesion the continuity playing together can have just enough of a positive impact to help them be ever so slightly better at holding up and protecting Kirk in the pocket which is, seems to be the a topic the number one thing on everybody's minds and like there is no perfect offensive line out there by the way I mean when you got five guys out there Every team in the league is going to have a glaring weak spot or two. It's just how it works. There's no flawless offensive lines where every single player is a Pro Bowl caliber player. So two stud tackles. Ezra is far from elite, but again, he's not a dumpster fire either. Good enough by most accounts, right? C plus, B minus kind of guy. Is that fair to say? And then I think it all just comes down to center and right guard. Honestly, too, I mean, I don't want to go too deep in the weeds, but if anything, I'm looking at the run game that was so inefficient on first and second down with Dalvin, led the league with zero or negative yards run, mind you, and then in turn put Kirk in the offense, obviously, and okay, now we're in third and nine at best, third and 12, third and 13, all these tough spots over and over again on third down. That's the A topic. That's the real A topic for me over the offensive line. Bottom three in time of possession last season, Way too many three and outs for anyone's liking. And now we can find out, I think, was it the chicken or was it the egg? Was it, in fact, the offensive line not creating enough running lanes for Dalvin? Or was it Dalvin's running style just swinging for a home run when he should have been making sure that he at least gets a couple yards here or there when the defense gives it to him? That's what the hope is, I think, when you swap a guy like him out for Madison. And I think, just from the sounds of it, that's the focal point for KOC in 2023. That's something he's already gone on record saying that was a big priority trying to fix this offseason. I'd be very curious, by the way, just to look up how many offensive lines in the league have all five starters, either a first or a second round pick. Again, not saying that means you're automatically good, but it does speak volumes in the effort Rick Spielman put into, you know, his final three, four year tenure on trying to invest in the offensive line. I'd be, I'd be really curious about that because like you take a look at some really good offensive lines. Like you said that there was no perfect offensive line. And I was thinking, well, three years ago, I'd say the Browns were, you yeah, could say right there. Yeah. yeah Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller, yeah. uh, Wyatt Teller performing at his peak. Mm-hmm. And then um, right before that right tackle before he left, I think for the Titans, I forget what his name was. It's like Jack Conklin. Maybe? Jack Conklin. Um, and then their, their weakness ironically was that rookie left tackle when he was a rookie, the rookie left tackle from Alabama, uh, pass protection maven totally forgot his name too mm-hmm. um but he was more of a pass protect those same draft i think is um jedrick and- wills yeah that's it um that year that was probably the closest we got to a perfect offensive line that we've Agreed. seen in a while yeah um that was pretty phenomenal but you take a look at some of the some of the offensive lines around the league the eagles jason peters undrafted right lane johnson first round pick right but like it's it's tough to find these um offensive lines that you have to at some point hit on a third fourth round pick agreed you need um, the wyatt teller from virginia tech fifth right, sixth yeah. round guard to pan because it's so hard as a gm to invest all my early picks on one position i have yeah. to spread these picks around a little bit yeah and sometimes it's like i brought in a free agent right like jack conklin right for the browns team you know i brought in a free agent like the eagles i think are mostly just entirely homegrown but otherwise it's like you know who's the guy replacing jordan peters it's it's jordan mylotta right who right Right. Undrafted. He's a yeah. seventh rounder, I think. He, international players, so I just assume undrafted, but they actually did draft him. Um, but yeah, it, it's so like at some point, you know, you, you're going to have to hit on these guys. But yeah, it would be nice to see a Vikings team that invests in those positions. But then you have to ask the next question which drafts that should they have done it in? And, and what should they, what position should they not have prioritized in those drafts? Should we have said, that the Vikings should not have gone after a receiver this year or a cornerback last year. So there's like some trade-offs here about kind of what we expect, you know, teams to be able to do within those constraints. But certainly if we're talking about like some of the best offensive lines, almost always they'll have, you know, some of the best investment overall, whether that's in draft capital or free agency or whatever. 
Uh, quarterback plays a huge factor into this as well. When you have a mobile quarterback that doesn't need, survives on a clean pocket, especially coming from up the middle on that interior. I look at the Packers offensive line. Sure, he wasn't as mobile as he was in his first 10 years of his career, but Aaron Rodgers made that offensive line look pretty dang good for the majority of his career. Bakhtiari, early round pick, sure. But you mentioned, okay, if we were to go back and play devil's advocate, redo this whole thing in the domino effect, Elton Jenkins has been a stud interior player for the Packers, drafted in the third round the same year as Garrett Bradbury. So all of a sudden, you don't take Bradbury and you take a guy like Jeffrey Simmons, who went one pick later to the Titans, been an absolute stud. You grab him at defensive tackle and you grab a guy like Elton Jenkins later. I don't know, chicken or the egg as well, as far as like, is it the players themselves and the picks or is it the coaching and development? Is it another layer like what quarterback you're playing for and the offense you're on, the guys you're playing next to? A lot of different variables into these equations. But again, the hope is center and right guard. I think they're really banking on, again, showing some improvement, at least from Ed Ingram, which in turn, I think, will help Garrett Bradbury even more so. Good topic, by the way. I feel like, again, some good dialogue and conversations for the people listening at home. And again, maybe somebody can do some research. See if there is another team out there that has all five starting offensive linemen as a first or second round pick. I think that's pretty crazy. It's just not very often you see that in the NFL, that's for sure. Uh, Next one up, and maybe this is a topic a little bit more for Luke Braun, our cap consultant, but maybe you can help me out here because I'm wondering, after all these big-name veterans they've cut ties with now, Eric Kendricks, Delvin Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson, the list goes on and on, how much cap space are the Vikings projected to have in 2024? And how Quasi might play with some of that money? And a ton of different variables to this one as well. Like, okay, Kirk Cousins, he's either going to get paid another $40 million a year if he gets an extension, or you got to pay him 28 in dead money if they let him walk. You've got the J.J. and Hawkinson extension looming. Darisaw the following year. But... There was a point in the middle of the roster this offseason. The rumor on the street was like they might be top five in cap space, if not top 10. Any idea on those projections? And I guess just a general, give me a loose game plan of how and where they should spend that money next offseason and what that might look like. Sure. So you take a look at the cap space. It is not it's top 10 in terms of cap space, but I think that that's not representative, like you said. So they're projected to have 50 million or so in cap space. But the problem is there is a ton of free agency and voids that hit Mm. right before 2024. So um, if you just take a look at the top three contracts that will no longer be on the books as of right now, right, if they don't make any extensions, right, Mm -hmm. as of right now, those top three contracts are Kirk Cousins, Daniil Hunter, and Marcus Davenport, plus you throw in TJ Hawkinson. Those top three contracts uh, are themselves um, about $65, 70000000 dollars, right? Um, just in terms of how much they're taking in average annual value. Um, now that will no longer be something that the Vikings have to worry about. DJ Hawkinson is uh, $4 million. So you could say about $70, $74 million, right? Um you're going to have to figure out a solution at those positions. Maybe it doesn't mean extending Kirk Cousins, right? Maybe it means, you know, signing another quarterback and free agency trading for one or drafting one, right? In which case you don't have to worry. The drafting one is the easiest in terms of cap space, right? Um, But you're going to want an extension for Daniil Hunter. You're going to want a scenario where Marcus Davenport plays well enough where you feel confident giving him an extension. You're going to want to extend TJ Hawkinson. Now, the good news is, The average annual value, like Luke likes to say, the average annual value does not tell you how much cap someone's going to take up in year one. You know, somebody could have an average annual value, like let's say Justin Jefferson, who um, is projected to be on the roster next year, but we expect an extension to replace his next year's value, right? Because it's a fifth-year option. Um, The average annual value does not reflect that cap space. You could have somebody take up $30, $35 million in average annual value but only take up two, $3 million in cap space. That one's pretty extreme. Often you get like $5 million in cap space, but like that first year is relatively easy to figure out. Um, so yeah, there's about $65 million in average or $75 million in average annual value that is walking out the door, leaving you with $50 million in cap space. Mm. Plus all the other free agents I didn't mention, people like Jordan Hicks, Ole Udo, Greg Joseph, Ezra Cleveland, that's going to be kind of a big one, actually. Um, Chris Reed, 
Um, you know, a lot of guys that you, you just kind of want to have on a roster, you know, you don't necessarily, you're not begging Chris Reed to come back, but you need, you know, a guy of his caliber on the roster, right? Um, when you take into account all of that, you know, that's probably another 80, 90, you know, million total, um, closer to 90, that you're going to have to figure out. And by 90, I mean an average annual value. So sure. you can, you know, find a way for that 2024 cap space to still be in the positive. But as it looks right now, I'd say, yeah, the Vikings have a lot of cap space technically for 2024, but that is that is not very meaningful because there's going to be a lot of extensions, hopefully, right? A lot of extensions coming up that'll change that landscape, whether it is Kirk Cousins or Daniil Hunter or TJ Hawkinson or Justin Jefferson. You know, those are going to be really important questions to answer. And based on the structure of those contracts, you know, that could... Um, not take up very much. They could each take up $3 million in cap space, in which case, hey, that's only 12 that you're taking out of that $50 million. Now you've got all kinds of room. Um, but for the most part, especially with Kirk Cousins, if you do extend Kirk Cousins, he mostly does take up his average annual value because he, he does short-term for like right. salaries. Right, year right? by year. Yep. Yeah. Um, so like that one, you can't really fit angle all that much, but um, yeah, you, you could work it out, but I, I would say mostly our cap space projections, given who the Vikings are and what contracts they need to work, are not going to be super accurate right now. Kirk, obviously the big one. That'll make about a 10 to $12 million difference, whether it's the 28 and dead or the you know projecting 40 that he's going to ask for somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I don't even know if it's realistic. If you move on from Kirk, if you can have anyone other than a rookie or a player on a rookie deal, so Jaron Hall in year two, on the contract. Can you really pay Kirk 28 and dead and then go pay, on average, an adequate starter like a Jared Goff or Derek Carr type of guy for 25, 30, if not even 35, just because these prices keep going up and up? Now you've got, what, close to 60, 65 invested in the quarterback and – People are going to be scratching their heads saying, did you really upgrade the quarterback that much anyway? So I think it's Kirk or bust. It's Kirk or a rookie or a guy on a yeah. rookie deal. You brought up a really interesting point about the JJ deal because I think it was a few weeks ago, I pulled up all the other big deals comparable to him. Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown. And to your point, even when they do extend JJ, his numbers probably won't get inflated until like the third year, just going off those other comparable big name deals. So even with an extension, I don't see JJ's deal hindering their cap too much in years one and two, in years 2024 and 2025. So I think next off season, maybe extend Darisaw too, pending how this season goes. And then there's almost, you know, outside of the quarterback, you mentioned a few of them. There's not a ton of monster name guys that are going to soak up too much money outside of what they figure out with Daniil Hunter, of course. But Davenport, Hunter's the wild card, Jordan Hicks, Ezra Cleveland. I mean, that's about it. Every team's going to have five or six starters more times than not that they got to resign. So you should be able to retain who you want and dump enough money into free agency and go get, I would think, at least one, maybe two legitimate starters, probably on the defensive line for sure, maybe one cornerback pending how things go this year. That's even, I think, what's spreading around the rest and retaining your core nucleus of guys. Of course, J.J. Uh, Hawkinson, maybe Darisaw next year. Hopefully, Daniil Hunter. We'll see how that goes. I just think that's something to think about as we yeah. you know, sit here and watch the season unfolds, who's a part of the long-term plan heading into year three of Kwesi and KOC? Yeah, I think that the point you bring up about like the void years is actually a good one. It's something I should have brought up with Neil Hunter and Marcus Davenport, who both also have void years mm -hmm. uh, heading into this, uh, heading into 2024. You effectively get a discount against your cap, right? Because it's already we already counted that as part of the 50 million, right? So you effectively get a discount against the cap by re-signing them. Now, if you walk, if they walk, right, if Kirk Cousins walks, you don't get that discount. Mm -hmm. So you only get the discount essentially by re-signing them. So if, for example, because um, I think Davenport and Hunter combined are about $17 million in dead cap okay. based off of that void contract. Now, if you re-sign both of them, that's basically getting that $17 million back, right? Because that voided money would be converted into guaranteed money in some way, and it'll be moved down the road or it'll be part of this year's cap or whatever. And so... There is, in a world where you re-signed Kirk Cousins, Daniil Hunter, and Marcus Davenport, and I think those are the big three in terms of void money. Uh, 
in that world, it was a 28 plus 17. So that's about, you know, 45, right? In that world, there's another 45 kind of floating around. And if you recite all three of them, then you do have some uh, uh, additional operating room to work with close to 90 million, mm -hmm. right? If you count mm -hmm. this as cash space. But if you, if you don't do that, that money still gets counted. So you still only have 50 million. So that's actually a really good point I should have brought up. Oh boy, for all the clearing of the house, stripping it down to the studs, trying to set up this Super Bowl window here in year three and 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 beyond here, to pay Marcus Davenport six point eight and dead next year and have seven million dollars as a cap hit for a guy who's maybe won't even be on your team, kind of head scratching deal. The way they put it together to retain a guy for for one year, kind of a prove it year deal. Now, like you mentioned, obviously, hopefully he plays well enough to where you want to resign him. You get a little bit of a discount on that coming back, but just for all the moves they've made to shore up the future endeavors with the cap. That one, just pulling it up on spot rack here. I didn't know they set that up like that. That's kind of a head scratcher right there. Yeah, when it was initially, well, there's a reason. When it was initially reported, we all kind of understood it to just be a one year, I think, was it like $14 million deal? That's right. Yeah, 13, and, yeah. Um, and, and I think it was later reporting, which it's always, um, the first thing you hear is the thing that gets set in your brain, right? Right. Later right. reporting told us about the void year, right? And so- um, that one, basically half the deal is, is next year's voided money. Right. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, an unusual scenario. It's funny. The saints are paying Marcus Davenport 7.6 million this year in dead cap to not play for him as well. Interesting. Um, all right, coming up next, I'm putting a reef on the hot seat with some Viking superlatives, oh. but first quick reminder, this show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook as we are each and every day during the thick of the summer season here on the Minnesota football party, baseball season in full swing, no better place to get on on all the action than at FanDuel money lines, parlays, prop bets. You want it they got it FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire MLB season twins taking on the Kansas City Royals in game one of three tonight right in the backyard at Target Field Joe Ryan on the mound current line twins minus 220 you can bet on that and plenty more over at FanDuel.com slash locked on and make sure to check out the no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download the easy-to-use FanDuel app. Get your winnings instantly. Check it out today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, Arif. I got five Viking superlatives I'm going to give you. I want to know which player you think fits the criteria the best. You ready? Yeah, sure. I did not prepare for this at all. Sure, 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 sure. Right, right, right. We'll cut that out. Not going to cut <laughs> that out. Biggest sophomore stud. Plenty to choose from here. Vikings had 10 draft picks last year. Who makes the biggest impact and biggest leap in 2023 from those 2022 draft classes? Sophomore stud, who you got? Gosh, okay. So this one's I'm tough. Lots to choose like, from. So Ed Ingram, Andrew Booth, Caleb Evans, Jalen Naylor. Those are the kind of Ty the, Chandler. Ty yep. Chandler, right. Mm -hmm. So uh um, seen. Who's seen the first round? He's a guy. You probably remember that. He's guy, a guy. Right? Yeah. Um, I was, so based off of the camp reports that Caleb Evans is ahead of Andrew Booth, I'm going to pick him. Right. I've already expressed my skepticism about Ed Ingram, mm -hmm. so I'm just going to stick with that, even though I know that that might not be the case. I know that Lewisine has an opportunity to win that job. I think that it may be the case that Cameron Bynum wins it. Um, in which case, I think Caleb Evans uh, is almost a shoo-in to become the the sophomore uh, stud guy or the sophomore stud guy right um that 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 and then after that probably ty chandler but i i i'm gonna pick um i'm gonna pick a caleb evans yeah i can't go wrong with that one with so many picks 10 draft picks i think i start with who's got the clearest path to actually get on the field first and foremost to caleb evans as you pointed out certainly could make a case for him and then brian Osamoa seems to be penciled in oh as a day God. one starter as well. Yeah, totally Either one, though, him. honestly, one and one yeah. A, I think. Because you're right, uh, with a Caleb Evans, just given what he flashed last year versus the Washington game and everything else, and now penciled in to be that boundary cornerback, I think you could make a fair case for either one. Love it. All right, yeah. next one up, captain in command. A lot of key vets gone now. Who's going to step up and fill those shoes and be one of the new up-and-coming captains or veteran leaders, whether it's this year or down the road? 
Uh, well, if Daniel Hunter signs an extension, I could see uh, him being that guy. Otherwise, yeah. defensively, you're kind of just left with Harrison, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's just not anybody like that's been on. Well, I mean, you could like pick like a Byron Murphy, right? You could pick somebody that hasn't been on the team but is still a veteran. Um, but like, just in terms of of making sure that you've got a continuous team culture. You know, somebody like a Harrison Phillips or a Daniel Hunter might be kind of who you're looking at. So uh, if Hunter signs his extension, which it'd be weird to hold the captaincy to that, but it's just tough for me to believe right. that the players will vote for a guy who's holding out. Not necessarily holding it against him, but he just not, doesn't have the capacity to show leadership qualities when you're out in the locker room. They may um, actually respect that even more. Be like, hey, go get paid, right. man. Yeah, get go get it. Paid, right? We get it. Go do um, it. We get it. But, like, I like Harrison Phillips a lot. He certainly seems like somebody who brings a lot of the juice to the defense. So defensively, I'll pick Harrison Phillips. Offensively, um, well, first of all, we know that C.J. Ham is already a special teams captain. Don't got to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's going to take care of it. Kirk Cousins, obviously, is a captain. I don't know if this is Justin Jefferson's – moment to be a captain if right. that makes sense right i mean yeah. which obviously i love him right there's no like and yeah, i don't think he's him. immature but i also don't think he's at a spot where he's taking on a leadership role now mind you that receiver room is insanely young so you know it's entirely possible that like you take a look at it and okay but for me this is more of like a tj hawkinson kind yeah. of you know scenario where like he could become an offensive captain so you know, Daniel Hunter, Harrison Phillips, uh, CJ Ham, obviously, never in question. Uh, TJ Hawkinson, uh, Kirk Cousins, those to me. Uh, and then maybe, you know, an Alexander Madison or something like that. Oh, there you the, go. The, yeah, the yeah, team yeah. picks like something like six captains or something like that. And in addition to Harrison Phillips on defense and CJ Ham on special teams, that seems to round it out pretty nicely. Yeah, I feel like you got to have four or five years of experience under your belt just to even get your foot in the door. And this Vikings roster, you can cut like half the options out just with that criteria alone. Hawkinson for sure on offense. I love that one. Yeah, that hey, on hey, hey. Uh, don't forget Brian O'Neill. And Brian O'Neill, of course. Yeah, yeah Brian O'Neill. Was he already a captain last year? Maybe. Okay. I don't uh, keep very close track of that kind of thing. Honestly. Come on, man. What's going on? It's your job. Yeah. Come on. Uh, Harrison Phillips, by the way, in Buffalo, I believe he was voted their Walter Payton Man of the Year, already doing big things off that? the field here in Minnesota as a big community man as well. All right, next one up. Biggest hidden gem on the roster. Last year is probably Duke Shelley. And I get that's tough to project and replicate that kind of season and path. But who's just the biggest hidden gem on the roster? So a hidden gem would be somebody like not somebody that we're expect like is poised, right? It's somebody who kind of fights through it. So it wouldn't be a Brian Asamoah or an Caleb Evans, right? Yeah, the expectations cannot be high. The expectations for Duke Shelley were not very high. Put it that way. Was he even on the roster at this point? This I season? think it was week two, week one, yeah. week two. Yeah. So oh, impossible man. to, again, project that kind of path. But just given right. the 90 well, guys uh, they got as of now. So so I am really concerned about the receiver depth right after KJ Osborne. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like Jalen Naylor a lot. I think that he's got an opportunity to kind of be um, a big player here. But, but behind him, there's just nobody. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick this guy. I'm gonna pick Christian Jackson. Sam's Ooh, guy. I like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh defensive side of the ball in the secondary. Jojuan Williams, I just feel like, okay, again, not a lot of high expectations, but they just need some veteran leadership back there. Maybe he's a guy who could end up being some sort of hidden gem in the secondary for Brian Flores. All right, last two. Most improved or breakout player, like guy who takes the biggest step forward in play on the field from last year to now, who you got doesn't even necessarily mean they were bad last year, but just improves the most. All right. So excluding all the rookies that we just talked about. Yep. um, I would say a pretty decent chance for it to be like Kairos Tonga, who played well last year. Right. It's a good one but um, is now in a position where you can play a lot of snaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think uh, Luke in our last episode where we talked about Tonga, um, he'd mentioned that, uh, you know, Tonga was pretty inconsistent up and down from game to game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he's got the capacity to be a consistent player. If he does that, he'll be a pretty high tier nose tackle. So I'll pick him. Um, I'm not like as enamored with like, say the edge rushing options. Right. Um and uh, and I think that in terms of steps forward, you know, he's got a, a pretty good path there. And plus, he 
might have the underlying talent. That's a really good one. Again, clear path to the field. He's a starter. Was it inconsistent up and down, as you mentioned? I, I think the dream here, the number one pick everybody's hoping for, would be Ed Ingram. Because if Ed Ingram takes a huge step, that means Bradbury probably plays a little bit better. The offensive line is better as a complete unit. And then Kirk Cousins, hopefully, is more efficient as well. Um, I do like Tonga. Just combing through the rest of the roster and depth chart, everybody kind of glosses over this guy because – we're all just waiting for Lewis Seen to jump in the mix. And this guy's been inconsistent, but has also shown flashes at his very best. I wonder what Cam Bynum can do under Brian Flores if he does end up being the full-time starter for 16 weeks, you know, barring yeah, injury. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that would be interesting because we've Cam seen the Bynum. flashes. Yeah, yeah when he's, yeah, when he's his, good, his he's good. rookie year, it was really exciting that he had played so well after was it Xavier Woods got injured. Yeah. Um, he got on the field. He played so well that Mike Zimmerman was like, got to find a way to put him on the field. Zimmerman Woods comes back. Three mm-hmm. safety sets. And he played well in those three safety sets. Mm-hmm. So last year he did not live up to that, but certainly um, that possibility exists. I think there was a reason to be excited about him. And the biggest prerequisite, he's going to be a starter. So at least he's got a clear path to at least get on the field. And now he gets to play in a Brian Flores defense. Last one here, defensive MVP. Who you got? Probably could narrow it down to two or three main options. Um, I'm optimistic about Hunter. Uh, <laughs> it's think- tough with an asterisk. Everything's got an asterisk by Hunter. Yeah. Like you assume he's going to figure the contract yeah. stuff out. He's got to be back on the I field. think it's pretty likely. I think it's pretty likely. I do too. Um, right now, I consider him the best player on the defense. I think Harrison Smith is a very good player, but he's not the player he was a couple of years ago. To me, that guy was bar none, the best safety in the NFL. I don't think I can say that about him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's very good, and he could be the defensive MVP, but I'm going to pick Hunter above him. Um, he, Hunter is such an interesting player from like an evaluation perspective because his pressure rate is pretty reasonably high, and it is pretty reasonably consistent. The sack rate is not as consistent, but when he does get sacks, they tend to matter a lot more, and that's just not, not just a feeling. If you take a look at Brandon Thorne's um, defensive line metrics where he uh, so Brandon Thorne is an offensive line defensive line consultant he does individual coaching for offensive linemen and defensive linemen in the NFL so he, he knows trench his, mind one of yeah. the best follows out so there he knows what he's doing on. on his trench warfare substack he um, evaluated every kind of major pass rusher right and he looked at high quality sacks high quality pressures rare sacks rare pressures things that require skill things that appear things that require hustle you know and and he graded basically the sacks by difficulty he graded the pressures by difficulty and he also evaluated the outcomes and one of the things is so hunter scores reasonably high there he didn't score as high as Darius smith he didn't score nearly as high as michael parsons or miles garrett right who was number one um so that's so that's important but Hunter, I believe, had either the highest or the second highest drive-killing sack rate. Mm. And so he did the best job when his sacks appeared at ending drives. And normally me, statistically minded, I would say, well, that's probably just random. Somebody has to be first. It might, might as well be him, right? But I feel, if I remember correctly, this is not rare to him. He has done it. He's been very high in drive-killer sack rate for two, three years. Uh, and so... I find that to be pretty compelling at that point that maybe, you know, he's finding a way to kind of reserve um, his specialized pass rushing moves or his opponent's specific pass rushing moves on like third down, right? Where he knows that he's going to rush the passer when he knows it's a higher level situation. Jared Allen was the same way. And he would even talk about how, um, you know, his pressure rate was, was well above average, but it wasn't the best in the NFL, but a sack rate, as we know, was one of the best in the NFL. And he talked about it. He was like, look, I if I'm choosing between getting a sack on first down and third down, I'm going to try and get it on third down because I know that that sack's going to matter, right? And I think Hunter might be the same way. And so, Imagine being so good you get to choose. All right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I could have it on first down. Sure. You know, I could eat my dessert first. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I think I'm going to wait, get all the spotlight and the glory and be able to rope them up there on third down when it matters a little bit more. Um, Interesting, by the way, I just pulled it up. Zadarius eighth on that list. Hunter 16th. The Vikings have two of the most effective pass rushers in the NFL last year and still ended up 23rd in team sack percentage. 
That's pretty yeah. crazy, man. That's I a mean, that's a coverage grade. That's what that's telling me. That, wow. That's a coverage. Yeah, problem. good point. That's a good point. Because it, because if you're if you're getting all of your high quality sacks in, right? Because that what that metric does is it weights rare sacks and high quality sacks, which are sacks that are produced essentially entirely by individual uh, effort, right? It doesn't account for things like stunts, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But like. Um, the thing is, the reason that Micah Parsons is both really high in high-quality sacks and really high in sacks, right, mm -hmm. like it, it, high in both, is because the coverage that the Cowboys provided him allowed him to get some free, cheap, easy sacks in addition to the really difficult sacks that he was one of the best in the league at getting. And it's that combination that allows the Eagles, for example, who had James Bradbury and Darius Slay in the back end, it allows them to lead the league in sacks because – you're getting all of the individual effort, like really high quality, rare type of sacks that are, are important for your defensive lineman to get that are a product of their own individual effort. And then you're also getting all of the stuff that your coverage unit is helping you getting, making the quarterback wait another half second, turning a pressure into a sack. Such a great point. Like if you're elite, you're going to get yours. You're going to get half those, but... To have both, to be able to dip into both categories, you got to get some coverage sacks in there as well. That's a good point. By the way, Miles Garrett, number one on the list. Micah Parsons, number two. Jonathan Allen, still underrated, I feel right? like. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right in the middle from Alabama, what, six, seven years ago. Just an absolute tank, a beast in that Washington defensive line. Dexter Lawrence, Max Crosby rounding out the top five. Really cool list. Go check that out again on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne. NFL pretty cool all right last one up here let's uh let's end with a fun one let's go game by game and let's predict the Vikings record in 2023 but we have to agree okay we got to agree together yeah, so agree. we'll each kind of plead our case maybe come to an agreement I have a feeling though we're gonna probably be on the same page for the majority of these by the way you're over under in Vegas for the Minnesota Vikings in 2023, currently sitting at eight and a half. Now, they always move. They're very fluid throughout the summer. I remember, I think it was last year, it started around eight and a half and it went up to nine, but it currently sits at eight and a half. So just keep that in mind as we go. Let's start at the top, week one at the bank, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do you think? Um, I think that's a win. That receiver group has dropped off a little bit. I don't trust Kyle Trask or baker right that's the other guy yeah um uh, i don't trust either of them to be good quarterbacks that defense i think is sneaky good it is they it actually is so that's something we have to i, I don't think it's a bad team right mm -hmm. um but you know quarterbacks are basically everything right and that receiver group is just not what it was um so unless godwin and evans can can return to who they were like two three years ago um i just kind of don't see it for them i'm gonna take the vikings Go out on a limb here and guess that this is the Vikings' biggest spread of the entire season. Now, again, a lot can change very fluid throughout the entire course of a 17-game gauntlet NFL season, but head coaches get fired, injuries happen, all this and that. But just as the way it sits right now, I could see that line being over a touchdown. Dude, can't find a, I can't find a loss on the schedule. Still My looking, God, dude. When? Want to know? Super Bowl, we coming? All right. Oh wait. Oh wait. Week two at Philly. Yikes. Good night. Prime time. <laughs> Prime time. Do we even need to go into this one? I think we're both. No, no, loss. we're good. Run it back. Yeah. Copy paste. One and one. Week three, coming back home versus the Chargers. That's a noon game, September twenty fourth. I'm not gonna so, lie to you, man. I really like the Chargers. I, so I if think this Justin was Herbert. later in the season, I could reliably say half that team's gonna be hurt. Right. <laughs> you, you're getting <laughs> the full A squad, the varsity squad. Yeah, but now you've got, you got Justin Herbert. You've got probably a healthy Keenan Williams, a healthy Mike Williams, a Bosa. Keenan Allen, and then Quentin Johnson, right? And then. Uh, yeah, and then you've got, you know, Bosa Derwin, that entire offensive line, which when you take a look at that offensive line player by player, when healthy, that's a pretty good one, right? Like, you just get, you know, Rashad Slater and all them. Um, so that's a, it's a pretty good offensive line. The defense, like you said, has Bosa and Derwin. They've just revamped their uh, linebacker core. I mm -hmm. think there's going to be a familiar face there, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I think that for the most part, and I, I like that cornerback group, right? It's got, like, Michael Davis and stuff like that. 
Um, I think that that's, that's probably a Chargers win, especially early in the season. I don't know what that line's going to be. I'm sure people listening at home are rolling their eyes like, come on, we'll win. We'll win every game at home. But, man, the Chargers, I've always been sneakily, just just quietly rooting for the Chargers. I really like Justin Herbert. Obviously, their season likely comes down to his arm. But on talent, just the roster, man, there are a lot yeah, of and, and I think people don't realize how good Justin Herbert is. Like, he is so good. studly. Like, if right. you – if you ask like quarterback experts like around the league, like where would you rank Justin Herbert? And maybe you know Mike Sanders is going to come out with a new piece at the Athletic where the GMs rank him, right? But um, generally, he's in the top five. Like he is, as he probably good. should be. As he right? there, I mean, there are people who rank be. him above Jalen Hurts, and fair enough, right? They would say Jalen Hurts had a better season last year, but Justin Herbert is a better player, right? If, and so going forward, I'd expect Justin Herbert to have it, and I think that that's fair. I, I do too. If he wasn't in the AFC West, buried behind a guy like Patrick Mahomes, literally the best quarterback in the league. If he was in the AFC North, right, with like Josh Allen, there would be so much more. I feel like conversation and hype around him being a legitimate, no debate, top five kind of quarterback. Uh, week four, traveling to Carolina, going to go visit Adam Thielen in his new blues. That's a Sunday noon game as well, October 1st. What do you think? Yeah, from Kendricks to Thielen, huh? Yeah, um, crazy. God, with Bryce Young, that's that's a that's a pretty difficult one. I unless something has happened defensively for the Panthers, I'm unaware of that. That is like a pretty leaky defense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, um, you know, the run game's not there. The receiver group, sorry, Adam, is not entirely there. They did make some investments, but I don't, you know. Uh, and Bryce Young's a rookie. I think that, and, and a really great rookie, and I'm really excited to see how he does. And I wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to have a better career or even a better year than Kirk Cousins. But for now, I'm going to hedge my bets and say probably a win for the Vikings. I agree. I think Bryce Young is going to be a stud, but not enough support and weapons. The offensive line still a work in progress. It's getting better slowly but surely, but still not enough confidence there. And then you need an elite number one true alpha dog weapon and love Adam Thielen to death. He'll catch 85 balls, 10 touchdowns, but DJ Chark, Terrence Marshall Jr. Well, Jonathan so apparently, Mingo. Apparently Jonathan Mingo. Apparently Jonathan Mingo has been impressing a ton. Okay. Okay. Maybe uh, a little rookie to rookie connection. Knows, okay. Right. But yeah. 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 yeah um, the, my understanding is that the Panthers front office and coaching staff are um, more excited than they expected to be. With, oh, with good. Mingo. Okay. So okay. Yeah, he might end pick. up being, and he's got the size, uh, speed profile. He to, could be the alpha. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. We'll say a win, though. I'm with you. Two and two thus far through four weeks. Week five, Kansas City back at the bank. Patrick Mahomes. Sam Ekstrom always likes to say, you got to steal one. One game that you're not supposed to win, you got to steal one. I don't think this is going to be it, but this <laughs> could be a fun game. Uh, it could be it could be fun. It could be a great shootout. It could In be a dome, great test of no weather to worry Flores about defense and all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like very clearly a loss. <laughs> Absolutely, three twenty-five game by the way. So no noon Kirk on that one to make matters even worse. Week six at Chicago. I don't know about you. I don't it care what Chicago. year it is. It is I, in Chicago. This one's in Soldier. I don't care what year it is, what the teams look like, as long as both teams are actually trying and have all their starters in. Unlike last year when, you know, we threw a Nick Mullins in the second half. I never feel great about going to Soldier, ever. And if you told me it's a loss every year, I never would bat my eyes twice or be surprised. So I'll say a loss at Chicago I, at Soldier. Look, I get it. I get it. But do you trust Justin Fields right now? Hey, without a Cam Dantzler strip, scoop up, how often is that really going to happen? Justin Fields was on his way to coming back on the Vikings on the road in the bank. I don't love it. You feel good about it. You think a win. Yeah, I feel good about it. The Bears okay. are like the worst team in the division. Okay, fair enough. They've added a lot. Terrell Evans. Yeah, at like positions that don't matter. Ooh, they added a linebacker. linebacker. Ooh, they added another they linebacker. They paid him a lot, too. They paid him a lot of money. Yeah. All right, we'll give him a win. I'm just saying, play this back uh, when they lose their team. Right. Right, fair <laughs> enough. I will say, October 15th, conditions shouldn't be too crazy by then. Yeah. hate going into Soldier, November, late December, games like that. Week 7, we got our first Monday night game for San Francisco back at home, October 23rd. What do you think about that? I could be talked into this being a Vikings win, but if I'm playing the odds, it wouldn't be. The thing is, like, I don't trust Brock Purdy. I've written about this a, a, a decent amount over at Pro Football Network about how um, his profile does not suggest somebody who 
um, is long-term going to be good? Uh, and then you throw in the concerns about his injury, which we'll have a complete picture by the time they actually play San Francisco, right? Uh, like that, that injury will just not be um, an unknown. They'll either have impacted him and we'll know, or it won't have impacted him at all. Right. Um, but, um, you know, you throw in all of that, you throw in the fact that like Trey Lance seems egregiously unprepared to play quarterback. So mm-hmm. he's not going to win the job. Um, Sam Darnold is the other guy. So like, I don't know, that quarterback group is not great. Um, it is really difficult to replicate defensive performance when you don't have your same defensive coordinator. Um, good point and, there. Lost to Miko to Houston. Good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, um, and they're not a team driven by their secondary, right? Like in terms of their defensive performance, it's about that stellar linebacker unit and that really good edge rush, not even defensive line, just edge rush. Right. Um, obviously they've got good players in the secondary, but they lost some of them too. So they still have Talanoa Hufunga, but I don't think they have Emmanuel Mosley or Jimmy Ward anymore. Right. So, Correct. um, our, our studies of defensive performance over time suggest that a, it tends to be very volatile. B, uh, it tends to be more stable when you keep the same defensive coordinator. C, it tends to be more stable when you have the when, when it's driven by a good secondary performance. And none of those things are true about San Francisco. And I don't trust the quarterback. But if I'm 100% honest, that's those are I'm just coping. I I do think the 49ers are the better team. Well, right? I'll tell you what. I, I was going to say a loss. Prime time, Monday night, Kirk, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you what. Sam did say you got to steal one. And they will steal is this, one is on this here. Is the steal? Is this the steal? Let's get it out of the way. Let's just say, because you just listed up a laundry list of reasons why there's a lot of different variables that have a lot of question marks around it. Like a lot of uncertainty okay, so, okay. that could happen so we'll, by week we'll seven. We acknowledge that the odds are that the Vikings won't win this one, but we'll we'll call this one the steal of the season. Right. We'll take we're going to grab yeah. this one. Yeah. There we go. So we're back to three and three. Yeah. I mean, I, Nick Bosa has always tried to stop the steal. That has been. He's trying. Yeah. He does yeah. his best. He does his best. All right. Back to a noon game. Back to the division at Green Bay. First Lambeau game, October 29th, week eight. I never feel good about any of these road games in the division. I don't wake up feeling great. I'll just say that. Uh, so before I answer this, what do you feel about Green Bay's defense? Just generally, even over the past couple of years. I think they have the right pieces in place. I think whether it's the defensive coordinator or key guy or two underperforming, like a Rashawn Gary one year, Jair Alexander disappeared for a hot second. But on paper, I love it. If you were to tell me it's a top seven defense this year, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Starting with a true shutdown number one corner and then adding pieces next to Kenny Clark, Quay Walker, Rashawn Gary, now Lucas Van Ness. I really like it. I'm just waiting for them to put it all together finally. And I don't know. We've been waiting for so long. I don't know if this is the year finally Joe Barry figures it out. That's my issue, right? I think that this defense continuously looks great on paper. Um, I really like some of these pieces. Preston Smith, I think, is probably past his prime. And mm-hmm. um, Devontae Campbell had that really good year. I don't know if he'll continue having, you know, mm-hmm. really good seasons. So we'll see. But they didn't get anything out of their Georgia rookies from last year. Yeah, Nothing. Last year, right? Crickets. Um, yeah, and that so, was weird. you know, who knows if we'll see Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt um, play at a high level this year. If they do then maybe there's like a lot of reasons to be concerned because I expect Jerry Alexander to play at a really high level. Um, but I just, I don't know if it's there for, um, you know, Rasul Douglas or, or Rudy Ford or, um, or the other safety, Darnell Savage, who I personally, mm-hmm. I like a lot more than Green Bay fans seem to like. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that defense is a little bit concerning. Um, and if that's the case, and I'm not a Jordan Love guy, to me, um, is, th- is this one at home or at, so that one's at This Green one's Bay. in Lambeau. Yeah. First Packer game is in Lambeau. So it's, it's a noon game in October. So we don't have to worry that much about the elements. True. Not too much. Um, it could be Sean Clifford time in Green Bay by then. Who knows? Uh, we all, everybody just assumes like, oh, Jordan Love. Yeah. He's going to be great. He's the next Packer in line. He's going to be fine. But it's a, I'm not saying he can't be. I'm just saying we still don't know. Let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, pump the brakes on Jordan Love, pump the brakes on Christian Watson, pump the brakes on Romeo, uh, pump, pump the brakes on Romeo Dubs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons to, to think the Packers are not entirely there. I think um, I'm a little bit concerned because it's an away game, but it's still, I'd still give this to the Vikings. Let's give it a dub. 
Four and three, three yeah, in a row at Lambeau. First, the Niners at home on Monday night and at Soldier. All right. Are we running into a little buzzsaw here? Week nine at Atlanta. Boy, you look at the offensive, just weapons. Bijan, whatever you think about a running back or not, that's fine. Sure, yeah, Cordero Bijan, Patterson, and Algier, and Kyle Patterson Pitts, owned. yeah. Drake London. We're talking premium draft picks invested into that offensive unit. Yeah, and, and Drake London is very good. Kyle Pitts is phenomenal. Agreed. Algier, Patterson, and Robinson all together in the backfield. Arthur Smith is a really gifted offensive designer, and I imagine that Desmond Ritter is going to be playing a role as a running quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, so here's so here's the thing. So if we're going to give the Vikings a steal, like let's say they they take that one Same from friend. the 49ers, right? What happens if we give them a surprise loss? Like you know, because they just because because the, so so their um, defensive front four is Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, Grady Jarrett. Bud Dupree slash Zach Harrison. Dead last right? in sacks last year. They added Campbell, and that's about it? And Onyemata and okay. Zach Harrison. Okay, okay. Um, so you've got that defensive group, right, that has added some players. You've got Adrian Terrell, who's legit just a good corner. They yep. just traded for Jeff Akuda, who I actually think did play really well for Detroit. He was the only one that played well for Detroit. Mm-hmm. We'll get to Detroit when we get to Detroit. Um I, I'm concerned, of course, about Mike Hughes, but they added Jesse Bates. They added Richie Grant. Um, Mike Hughes, fine. You'll be able to exploit him. But they drafted Clark Phillips, so maybe he, Mike Hughes is not even going to be on the field. Mm-hmm. So if the Vikings are going to steal one from San Francisco, maybe they take a surprise loss here to Atlanta. I could see it. I could definitely Especially see it. I could see Brian Flores's defensive front seven, specifically the D-line, getting ran all over by this offensive line. You saw him get pushed around versus Dallas last year. Uh, you know this head coach and this offensive system under Arthur Smith is going to pound the rock and make you pay. Once you start cheating and and Flores has to dial up all these blitzes, send all these extra men, guys like Drake London, guys like Kyle Pitts, they're going to make some plays. I don't love it in the dome. This could be a fun high scoring shootout if nothing else, but I absolutely think if you're going to steal one from somebody, that probably means you're going to lose one that you probably shouldn't have lost or people didn't expect you to lose. I think Atlanta is going to be a lot better this year in a wide open NFC South. So that's a loss. Three game streak snapped. All right. By Atlanta, all teams. By Atlanta. Who would have thought? All right. Back to a uh, another Sunday noon game, week 10, first New Orleans. Let's try to rip through the second half of the season. New Orleans, 30 seconds or less. What's your thoughts on New Orleans? Derek Carr um, and the Saints. Yeah, Derek Carr and the Saints, pretty tough one. Um, they've got a pretty decent right side of the offensive line. I like that, uh, you know, a receiver group with Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid. Um, but that defense is just worrisome to me. All of the good players are old and about to fall off, except for Marshawn Lattimore. That's about it. Um, I, I don't, unless I say Foskey and Brian Brisset play like a really big role in that defense this year, who they just drafted. Um, I see them as kind of leaky. And I think that a Derek Carr offense is going to be capped even with Olave. And Olave did really well with like nobody's at quarterback. I'm not, yeah. yeah, I'm not diminishing Olave. Incredible player. Um, kind of underrated because Garrett Wilson took all of the headlines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, w- I would say that this is just a team that is singularly unimpressive to me, even if signing Derek Carr was the right move for them. Um, if no, I'm I- taking Kirk Cousins versus Derek Carr, I'm taking Kirk Cousins. I'm with you. Uh, Derek Carr, as much as I loved him coming out and was rooting for him in the AFC and all this and that, it just, I, I can't put my chips on Derek Carr. I, I just yeah, can't. Yeah, no. I just don't trust him. Sure, Warren Sharp yeah. came out with a stat grading all the quarterbacks inside the 10 yard line in the red zone. Derek Carr, worst percentage, completion percentage, and just quarterback rating in the NFL inside 10 yards and in. All right. So that's a win for the Vikings back on the board with the win. Week 11. This is a Sunday night game, primetime game at Denver. Russell and Sean Payton going to turn things around here? It's so difficult to figure this so out. So tough to say. So We're going to find out, chicken or the egg, how important is coaching, especially yeah. to a, to an offense that that obviously they needed something. They need a spark uh, after we saw Russell Wilson. God, they were bad last year. Oh. Yeah, they were so bad. Um, I am going to take the pessimist approach here. It's a way. It's a primetime game. Um, Denver has a better home field advantage mechanistically than most teams do just because of the mile high thing. Um, like statistically that bears out. Um, so, uh, man, I, you take a look at that secondary patch Tan, Kareem Jackson, um, Justin Simmons, just some really good players. They just drafted Riley Moss. 
Um, first white cornerback in a long time. Let's go, uh, Iowa boy. Yeah. Born and raised, baby. Um, but, you know, they just signed Zach Allen. And I, I, that defense is not going to be as good as it was last year without Bradley Chubb. But it is a very good defense. And that that receiver group is really studly. Yes, I, it is. As much as I personally dislike Sean Payton, I believe in him as a coach. I think he's a very yeah. good coach. That receiving so course should be studly because they they have the most cap invested yes, into the receiving room than yeah. any other team in the league. So yeah. I'm with you. Chalk that one up as a loss. Week 12, Monday nighter versus Chicago at home at the bank on primetime. Monday night football game, second Monday night game of the season. That'll be the fourth primetime game by then too, right? One, two, three, four. Okay, so uh, Monday night at home against the Chicago Bears, I still don't believe in them. If I'm not going to take the Vikings, yeah, you, you or if I'm not going to take the play. Bears on the road, you know, um, I'm not going to take them when they're at U.S. Bank. Agreed. All right, that's a win. Going into the bye week, week 13. Like the late bye this year, by the way. Always appreciate that a little bit more. Yeah, the Vikings uh, appreciate it. They lobby for it. At Las Vegas, that's a 3 o'clock West Coast game. Don't love that. Uh, if it was a different head coach, that roster would make me take Las Vegas, right? Um, I think Jimmy is a, a – dangerous is the wrong word, but extremely competent quarterback, remarkably efficient. you got Devontae Adams. you got um, – you know, Hunter Renfro, you've got like, you've got a, you've got a good group of players there. The defense has gotten a lot better. I just did for the same reason. I believed in Sean Payton. I don't believe in Josh McDaniels. So I'm going to take the Vikings. So I think he's like 50, 50 versus the Vikes in his career, but I'm with you now in Vegas, not a lot of faith in McDaniels right now. It just seems like Vegas's stock is just trending the wrong way. Didn't love what they did in the draft. Yeah, I thought they made a lot of mistakes in free agency. Not that it was a bad idea to sign Duke Shelley. All about that. Good work there. But, um, man, it just felt like they had a lot of opportunities to get a lot better, and they got, like, a little bit better. Yeah, and and you lose uh, Darren Waller. Yeah, and you add Michael Mayer. Okay, but like yeah, is Michael that Mayer, you add Jacoby Myers this year though. I'm not yeah. sure. Tyree Wilson. Okay, yeah. you got a top seven pick. Is that going to be an instant impact guy right away? Yeah, so right the, thing, the thing I don't with know. Both uh, Michael Mayer and Tyree Wilson is that not that Michael Mayer is a developmental prospect. He's just a tight end. That's just what happens. Mm-hmm. Is that they're both going to take time. Tyree Wilson because he's a developmental process uh, prospect, and Michael Mayer because he's a tight end. Right, like it's, they're both going to take some time, so it's, it's tough for them to have an impact year one. Agreed. So that's a dub. Uh, week fifteen already. Here we go, December seventeenth, to be determined on the time. That's a flexible game right there at Cincinnati. Joe Burrow and the uh, Cincinnati boys. Obviously a loss. Obviously, that'll be a fun game though. Fun, super watch. fun. Um, yeah. Come on, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in the same building. Absolutely oh my gosh, fun. let's go. LS and Joe Burrow, the LSU connection. Unbe- yeah. Unbelievable. Week 16, first game versus the Lions. Finally, this one's at home, this first one. This is Christmas Eve day, noon game. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give away my week 18 pick as well because I want to they split. Yeah, and I'm gonna say the home teams win both of them. I'm so um, I'm not a huge believer in the Lions relative to the hype. The hype, right? Sure. But they are a very good team. It's I just it's Jared Goff concerns me. Mm-hmm. That's it. And he was pretty efficient last year. That's a great coaching staff. Um, that is just a remarkable uh, group in the trenches. They've done so, so much to revamp that secondary. That was such a problem last year. Um, they signed a couple of guys, traded for a guy. Like they, they did a really great job building around that secondary. So uh, I like it a lot. I'm going to split them. And I'll say the Vikings win this one. Two games left. Packers-Lions. Why I wanted to add that up, because it gives you an idea. If they're sitting near eight, nine wins, and you go into the last two games, Packers at home, and then Lions January 7th at Detroit, two critical games that their 2023 season could easily come down to, winning or losing these games. You had the Vikings winning at Lambeau. What do you think about at home? Get to give them a split? I think that's the, the fair thing to do. You think, but I just, I don't believe in the Packers. I just can't. I can't, like, if maybe if the, maybe if it was at Lambeau in the winter, I'd say that's going to be enough. Do you but believe I, in the Vikings that much? You're going to sweep the Packers? Yeah, I mean, I basically have them going 5-1 in the division, don't I? Yeah. This is tough. Um, 
God, I, I think sucks. you got to split with the pack. These yeah, division let's, games let's, always let's so close. Bets. Yeah, let's enter bets and split them. Okay, yeah, so like that's a, a division game. Yeah, right. So that's a loss versus the Packers, and then I think we both agree we're going to split with the Lions. That's a loss versus the Lions. So let's count this up: one, two, three, four, five, six, nine wins. So that's a nine and eight team. Boy, I'll tell you what, nine and eight team is what we got them at. I think we did that pretty fair and square by the book, as best you can. Obviously, there's going to be plenty of surprises and wild cards along the way. But nine and eight stole one that we probably weren't supposed to win versus the Niners. Lost one the next week. Maybe we shouldn't have lost two against the Falcons. Split with the division for the most part. Four and two split with the Lions. Split with the Packers. Swept the Bears. Weeks two through five, absolute gauntlet at Philly Monday night. Justin Herbert in the bank. Number one pick, Bryce Young at Carolina. Then Patrick Mahomes is in town. Then you got to go to Soldier Field to cap that off, by the way. But circle those last three games, Detroit, Green Bay, at Detroit. I think your entire 2023 Viking season comes down to the final three weeks. What do you think? Final parting thoughts yeah, I think as so. we it's get just, out of it's here. It's crazy that the Vikings have like Burrow, Hurts, Mahomes, and Herbert. They got so lucky schedule, looking right? back last year with the Mac Joneses and the yeah. Andy Daltons and the Mike Whites at home versus the Jets. Like They did not face a ton of elite quarterbacks. They faced Jalen Hurts in Week 2, Josh Allen in Week 10, and that's about it. I mean, sure, Aaron Rodgers, but was it the Rodgers we were used to? That's about it. They got really yeah. lucky with those elite quarterbacks. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, the Vikings schedule is not – like I did all of the math on it over at Pro Football Network. The Vikings schedule is not substantially much more difficult than um, a lot of teams around the league. It's it's about like the 14th, 12th most difficult schedule, so it's slightly more difficult than average. But you just take a look at those four quarterbacks, and that's just – that's interesting to me, right? It's like basically who are you, who are you missing? Basically Josh Allen and Lamar. Like those are the right. two – yeah. I stopped there. Give me an, right. give me them all. Why don't you just yeah. uh, throw Caleb Williams and Drake May in here? Yeah. Right? Why, why not? <laughs> just, 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 just get an early taste. North Carolina on the schedule. Why not? Why yeah. not? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're already going to, you know, you're going, you're, you're going to uh, California already. You're going. To, right. You're uh, going to be there. Already. You might yeah. As well. You're going to be there. Make yeah. a little pit stop down the road. Yeah. Uh, Vegas again has them at eight and a half. We got them at nine and eight. Smash the over. You heard it here first. Smash, smash. Of course. Yeah. I mean, hey, a lot can and will happen throughout an entire 18 week season in the NFL. You know it. Guys get hurt. Teams overachieve. They underachieve. Coaches get fired. The whole bit. I mean, we'll put this one in the vault, see how it goes, and then we'll decide if we want to play this back next offseason or not, depending on how good we did. Uh, one thing's for sure, though, no one had him winning 13 games last year. No one had him winning 13 games last year, except Ron Johnson, who apparently. I'm, I'm not sure I ever officially heard it on air, but apparently Ron Johnson called the Vikings winning 13 games. So we'll have to ask Ron on Thursday when we come back on our next football party. Of course, Sam Ekstrom, Luke Braun will be back as well. That's a wrap today. Remember, like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us for another episode Thursday for your one-hour Vikings breakdown. We're a podcast, too, free and available, all platforms, Spotify, Apple, you name it, we got it. Drop us a five-star review. Find us now streaming as well on Roku or your Amazon Fire Stick devices. Just look out for and download our Locked On Sports Minnesota app there as well. That's the man, Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. Check him out on Twitter, at Arif Hassan NFL. We're back Thursday with another episode of The Football Party, part of the Locked On Sports Minnesota Network. For Arif, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Until next time, come on, do it with me. Until next time, signing off. <laughs> what are you doing?